I'm putting love on the radio, spreading joy everywhere I go. There's no way to hide my hope. Oh, no, this little light of mine. Hey, I'm gonna let it shine. Telling the world to save my soul. The only way I know with love on the radio. Hello, everybody. I'm Ryan Young, and this is The Ryan Young Show, live right now on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, or wherever you're listening to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Great to have you join me on this Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great weekend. We've got a beautiful show prepared for you, I hope. Uh, Will Witt, Prager personality and the author of How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, is joining us in the second half of the show. We're going to talk about all things regarding his book. How are we supposed to to engage in a conversation with people that we disagree with and, and remain civil. That's going to be kind of the focus of the show. We're also going to talk about faith and important building relationships, not only horizontal relationships with others, but also the vertical one with God. Stay tuned. I'm Ryan Young, and this is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? Woo-hoo! All right, if you're listening right now at 8.09 a.m., uh, that means you probably need to get some coffee. You're just now waking up. And today is National Espresso Day. And according to professional baristas, if you've ever wondered what the difference is between an espresso and other types of coffee, I'm going to describe it here really quick. According to professional baristas, it doesn't really matter what kind of bean you use or how it's roasted. It's all in the way the beans are brewed. Forcing pressurized water through finely ground coffee beans produces a concentrated brew with its signature delicate foam. This foam, or crema to use its proper name, contains concentrated sugars and oils from the beans, adding a light sweetness that helps balance out the bitterness. So that is exactly what how you would describe an espresso if you were wondering or interested. So if you haven't got your coffee yet, grab your coffee, come join us on the show today, and we're going to be talking a lot about faith and building relationships, and most importantly, our relationship with God. And so over the course of this last week, for me, it's been a bit stressful. I've been running all over the place, doing all sorts of different things. I picked up a new job here at the school to try to get extra money before I head head off to doing different things for the holidays. And, you know, I'm super busy getting stressed out, doing all the classwork and everything. And it's that time of year again, right before we're about to have finals and hell week, as they describe it here on campus. And a lot of people right now are probably dealing with a similar thing. The weather's changing, it's getting colder, and you can quickly find yourself becoming a little bit more stressed out, anxious, and worried. And and so what I want to do is spend the first half of the show talking about relationships, and, and most importantly, that of with God. And I recently purchased a new book, and that's going to be kind of the guiding force behind what we talk about today. And the title of the book is called Concentric Circles of Concern. And it's so far, I've only read the first 30 pages, but it's made a pretty powerful impact on my life just so far. And the author, his name is W. Oscar Thompson, and he's a pastor, and, and, and he's got a really powerful story. He unfortunately passed away in 1980, and the book is composed of tapes that his wife, Carolyn, actually prepared through a transcription and editing of different uh, sermons that he gave over the course of his life. And so far, it's been pretty powerful. And the way the book starts out is how we should start here. So he asks the question, what is the most important word 
in the English language ever? What, what is the most important word? Now, you might think, well, it's probably God, it's probably Jesus, it's probably love, it's something around there. He says that the most important word in the English language is relationship. Because, see, if you're thinking love, in order to love, you have to build a relationship. And he goes one step further. He says, think back to all the crises in your life, all of those moments in your life where you were sad and depressed and anxious. Maybe it was because you got fired from your job. Maybe you had a conflict with your parents. Maybe something wasn't going right. There were rumors being spread. He says, no matter what it is, almost 99% of the time, what it results to is it goes back to either a scarred relationship or a strained relationship. A relationship that isn't right, that isn't going the way you want it to go, and something in it is causing this stress, causing this anxiety. And so I'm going to share some of his book and some of the quotes today that, that touched me because I think it's very powerful, it's very important. So he says, the reason why relationship is the most important word in the English language is because where is love going if there is no relationship? Relationship is the track. Love is what rolls over the track. Love's mo- love moves through a relationship. But the thing that satisfies the deepest longing of your being is a relationship with someone. And so you might say to yourself, well, actually, I, I don't need a relationship. And you might be scarred. You might be hurt. And someone might have hurt you to the point where you've kind of built up a wall and you build that wall up and you don't want anyone to let to break that wall down or get inside your inner circle for fear that you're going to get hurt again. And I understand because I've done that before in my life. I continue to do it sometimes. When you get worried and fearful that someone's going to be come enter that inner circle in your life and you're going to get hurt once again. And so what you do is you build up that wall. And, and, and an interesting quote that he says here, you may think you want to be a thorough and go to Walden Pond, but thorough did not stay there forever and neither could you. Why? Because there is something in the nature of people. There is something built into people that desires to be wanted, to be needed, to be fulfilled. Those desires are fulfilled only in relationships. A little reflection will lead to some obvious but amazing conclusions. First, think on the crisis times of your life, like we just did. A child separated from a parent, a child angry with a parent, a teenager breaking up with their sweetheart, the resentment and misunderstanding that separated you from a friend, perhaps the loss of a parent or a spouse, an argument, maybe even a divorce with your husband or your wife. All of these result in a strained relationship. And so... What Thompson goes on to do is he describes two basic relationships in life. There are two basic relationships. One, of course, is the vertical relationship with your heavenly father. The other is the horizontal relationship that we have with other people. When a person establishes by faith the proper vertical relationship with the father, the person is then able to have right horizontal relationships with others and deal with the basic problems in this world. Did you get that? So you have to have the proper relationship vertically with God before you can have the proper relationship horizontally with others. And so it begs the question, what is your relationship with the Father like? And I have to admit, the last couple weeks for me has been strained. I've had a strained relationship with God. He never left me. He never abandoned me. He still loves me. He still cares for me. But I have somehow allowed the worries of the world and my busy schedule to distract me from his mission. And I have that to confess to you. Now, I don't, I don't have to tell you that, but I want to tell you that because, you know, 
me being in this studio, sharing this show, you don't know really who I am that well. Maybe some of you do. Others of you just know what I say on the, on the show, what I talk about. But, you know, sometimes for me, it feels like I'm acting. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Sometimes I don't always feel that amazing, warm, fuzzy feeling where Jesus is right there next to me holding my hand and I'm overwhelmed by his love and his spirit. Sometimes I do feel down. I do feel anxious. I do feel worried. I feel stressed out. And sometimes I don't feel as though Jesus is right there with me. And, you know, we go through valleys and we go through mountaintops every single week, every single day in our life. Maybe, maybe you're right now on top of the mountain, you're, you're rejoicing and you're filled with joy, and that's a beautiful thing. But when the valley comes and, and, and you find yourself in, in this, this, this place of, of despair, maybe, or despondency, when you feel as though God's abandoned you, when you're overwhelmed with anxiety or, or worried by something taking place in the news or in your own life, when something doesn't go the way that you wanted, you have to ask yourself, did Jesus abandon me or is he still right there even in the midst of the worry, even in the midst of the dread, even in the midst of the fear? And and there was a poem that my girlfriend shared with me and I forget the exact title. It's about walking on the beach with Jesus. And the poem basically says, there there are footprints in the sand uh, on the beach and Side by side, there's two different footprints. And along the path through the sand of the beach, the the footprints become one footprint. There's now, instead of two sets of feet, there's just become one. And, And the image here is that Jesus and the individual is walking side by side. Jesus and you are walking side by side and he's holding your hand, walking you down this beach across the sand. And eventually it becomes just one set of footprints. And the man asks, or the woman asks, why did you abandon me right when it got hard? Why are there only just my footprints? Where did you go? I don't understand. And you know what Jesus responded? He said, I never abandoned you. I never forsook you. In those moments of your deepest despair and dread and anxiety, I was carrying you across the sand. And that is why you only see one pair of footprints. A pretty powerful poem. And I wanted to share that with you today. And so you have to ask yourself, what room did Jesus give for us? Can we doubt his love and his goodness and his grace? Can we just say, well, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great individual, a wonderful scholar. He did a lot of great works, but I don't believe him to be my savior. Can you actually say that? Is there room in the Bible? Is there room? Did God give us that room to say that option? No. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, and I want to remind you of this too. You see, Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he is, in fact, who he says he is. You see, God did not give us room to say that Jesus was a great teacher. If Jesus was a great teacher and he professed to being the son of God, how can we call him a great teacher? We don't call liars great teachers, do we? We don't call lunatics great teachers. So if you believe him to be a great teacher, you must in fact believe that he is who he says he is. Would you tell me that a great teacher in your life was someone that told you that they were the son of God? You know, you would say he's a crazy lunatic. 
And so you either have to believe that he's a liar or a lunatic, or he is in fact who he says he is. And I believe deep down inside, you know that he is who he says he is, but you have been scarred. You have been hurt in your life and you are allowing the wounds of your past and the previous despair to separate you from his almighty love and his goodness and his grace. Maybe there was a hardship that took place in your life. Maybe you were abandoned as a kid by your father. Maybe you were, your, your loved one passed away. Your spouse died. Your child was taken too soon from this world. And you hold it against God because how could a loving God do this to me? And I know, I know that might hurt. And I know you might be over, overcome by anxiety and sadness and, and tortured by your past. But God has never abandoned you. He loves you and he's still right there with you. And yeah, you might not understand why he allowed this hardship to take place. But I promise you, he is perfect and he is all-knowing and he is a good God. And he is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall have eternal life. And you know, he works all things together for his good. And yes, there is evil in this world. There's all sorts of evil taking place all around us. If you've been following the news, you saw in Wisconsin that that there was this, this horrible, tragic Christmas accident where a man plowed into people Uh, killing over five people, injuring 50 people. And you ask yourself, why would God allow this to happen while they're celebrating his birth, while they're doing a parade? Why? And maybe I don't have the answer for you today, but I do know this. God has given us the free will, the free will to do good and to do evil on this earth. He loves us that much. He wasn't gonna be a dictator and say that you must worship me, live a life for me. No, he created us. He gave us his only son to die on a cross to save us from the evil of this world. But he allows us to choose this day whom we shall serve. And when people choose to serve their flesh and to serve evil on this earth, the consequences of that become evident for all of us to see. But I promise you, the people that have passed away that knew Jesus, that loved Jesus, they are in such a greater place. They are free of pain, free of worry, free of dread, and they're rejoicing and dancing in heaven with their heavenly father. And so for the people that lost the loved ones, for the people that have gone through despair and torture and hurt in their life or right now in Wisconsin or wherever you are, your loved one is in a better place. And I know your heart is broken. I know you're filled with hurt. But God loves you and he's doing all things for you good. And he is in fact, perfect. And so when we look at the relationships that we have every single day, this is the stress stressing point of the book that we have different relationships. It starts with ourself and then it goes to another ring. And these are the circles of concern. Let me describe it for you. So it's me, myself, and then it goes to our immediate family. Then it goes to our relatives Then a little farther out is our close friends, a little farther out are the neighbors and business associates, then acquaintances, and then person X, someone that we haven't met, someone that we're we're hoping to speak to and to share the gospel with. And what does the Christian pastor and the church kind of promote? That that is testifying to person X. So you, you, you yourself, you want to be able to testify to person X. And that's kind of what we promote. But, but what we're doing in the process is kind of abandoning our impact with our immediate family, relatives, close friends, neighbors, acquaintances. 
and we skip straight out of uh, out of circle one, ourself, all the way to circle seven to person X. And, and this is what the pastor here, W. Oscar Thompson, is stressing. You see, you can never lead anyone closer to the Lord than you are right now. See, evangelism must flow out of a life. It is not something you can learn in a textbook, takes tests over, or, or make A's on to be assured of success. It is solely where, where you stand right now in your own personal vertical relationship with God. Until you fix the vertical relationship with God, you will have a not an effective horizontal relationship with others. And I've seen this firsthand in my own life. I have witnessed it time and time again. When I do not have a perfect or, or, or even a, a good vertical relationship with God, when I refuse to spend time in prayer or read his word because I'm stressed out and anxious by everything taking place around me, I don't have anything to give horizontally to those people I come into contact with every day. And that is what he wants you to realize. He wants you to fix. And, and that is what the book is stressing. So, so we, we talk about person X. And let me read a quote here from the book. With person X, our lifestyles do not have to be consistent. We can talk and then we can be on our way. There is nothing wrong with telling person X about Jesus. We're supposed to do that. God will bring these people into our lives. But if we cannot people tell people in circle two through six about the Lord, we are hypocritical. We are play acting. We are unreal people. If we are genuine, we will want to share with those closest to us. And so you might be going through that moment right now in your life where you, you want to be able to share your faith. You want to be effectual for Christ and share what he puts on your heart. And, and, you know, it is the easiest thing to do is to share the gospel to someone that can't even see the way in which you're living, that doesn't even know your deepest, darkest secrets, that don't, doesn't know what you're like in your privacy of your own home. And you can put on this, this facade, you can put on the mask of Christianity and go about kind of being all lovey-dovey, filled with Jesus, woe is me, look out, look out, here I come, look at the donations I just gave to this church, and I am an effectual Christian. Well, in reality, what it is is an outside facade, and deep down inside, you're still filled with despair, worry, stress, and sin. And I am guilty of this many times in my life. I am guilty of it probably on a weekly basis. Where I'm close with Jesus, I feel his power and his love, and then it fades because I get caught up in the worry of a world. I get caught up in sin. And what do I do to continue onwards? I put on the mask, I put on the facade, and I say, woe is me, I love Jesus, and I try it in my own strength. I white knuckle it, and it's not actually effectual. And so if you want to be an effectual Christian, I urge you, as this book is stating, and as my life is so desperately needing to do, to be an effectual Christian to those in our, your inner circles. Instead of skipping all the way to person X who doesn't even know you, who doesn't even see you, start in your inner circle. You see, you come across people every single moment of the day. Strangers in the grocery store, friends, acquaintance, acquaintances, business people, neighbors, close friends, relatives for the holidays when you're about to sit down for Thanksgiving. And those are the people that know you the best. And those are the people that are, it's most important that you share the message of Jesus with and how he has impacted your life. That is what is most important. So once we realize the goodness of God and his love and his grace and his mercy, 
once we're aware of what he's done for us and even when we've become overwhelmed, we can fall down back on our knees and confess of our desperate need for him. We can tell him how much we love him and how much we need him. And right now in this world, everything taking place in America and all around the world with this COVID stuff and with all of it, I pray that you do not get burdened and overwhelmed by the things that you cannot control. I pray that you stay close to God and on fire for him. And when that fire fades, rekindle it. Please rekindle it. My fire has faded every once in a while. This last week it faded and I'm working hard to rekindle it. I've confessed of the sins that I've committed and I wanna be effectual for God. And I wanna remind you, when you become overwhelmed and you feel as though you're not living a life that's satisfying to God, and when you're like, God, I don't know why I keep doing this mistake. I keep, I keep falling short here. I keep missing the mark here. I want you to realize something. When you say that, when you confess of that, that is living proof of the Holy Spirit inside of you convicting you. That is living proof that God lives with inside you and you are his child. Do you think someone apart from Jesus would have those convictions to confess of the fact that you are not right and that you are hurting inside and that you need him? No. That is the exact opposite of what the flesh would bring about in you. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit will you confess of your desperate need of Jesus. And so when you're filled with hurt and fear and anxiety and you feel as though you've fallen short, remind yourself of this very simple truth. You would not be confessing those thoughts unless Jesus was inside of you and unless he loves you and wants more from you. And so I pray today that you make that relationship right and that you go about in the inner circles of your life, making an impact and sharing the gospel. Coming up next, Prager personality, Will Witt. We're gonna talk about his book and the importance of relationships and how to live a civil life today in this very divisive world. Don't go anywhere. everybody. Welcome back to The Ryan Young Show. I'm Ryan Young, live right now on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Joining me now is Prager personality and author of How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, the always entertaining Will Witt. Will, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, man. Glad to be here. I want to talk to you about your book and your own life story. I, I think it's already, what, number six right now on the bestseller chart? Yeah, so we got number six best-selling book in North America, uh, which was awesome during the first week. And then we got national bestseller on USA Today. But the New York Times decided they weren't going to put us on their list, even though we should have been on the list based on the numbers. But uh, at the New York Times, it's not a meritocracy. It is a who can kiss the most leftist butt contest essentially. <laughs> exactly yeah so. who needs the new york times anyways you got usa today and you got conservatives all across the country that are a big fan of yours so um what, what's the purpose of the book why should people go out and get it the purpose of the book is that there are so many books out there that kind of tell people here's what's wrong with america or here's why the left sucks and and there, there is a purpose for those books, I understand. 
But my book essentially gives people the tools that they can actually use, right? It gives people the questions and strategies that they can use when talking to people to actually change people's minds. Because I have always had the belief that anyone's mind can be changed. Anyone can be woken up to the actual, to what the truth is, to become a conservative. I was a leftist my entire life. The girl who I do my show with, Amala on PragerU, was a leftist her entire life. And now we both work for PragerU as these these uh, conservative commentators. And it's like, I, I truly believe that. And so it's just about having the right discussions, asking the right questions, and doing it in a compassionate and humble way to be able to change minds. So that's why I wrote the book, so that everyone can do those same types of similar tactics. And I lay it out for people. That's great. How did how did you go from being a uh, leftist to being such an outspoken conservative and Christian? You know, it, it, I think a lot of it had to do with my environment, where I was put into an environment that was all one-sided on the left. And I understand that for a lot of people, that might just exacerbate their, their leftist views. But for me, when I saw that there were people who wouldn't allow to have any sort of difference of opinion out there, I knew that this probably wasn't the ideology for me. And I realized that the values that my mom taught me growing up, personal responsibility, uh, not feeling entitled, being accountable for my own actions, these types of things actually aligned with conservatism. And I had no idea. I thought I was a leftist, but I guess I was more conservative. And so when that happened, I started getting more involved with conservative and freedom-loving causes and eventually found out about PragerU back in Colorado and made a video for them. They loved it, posted it, and long story short, they offered me a job after uh, two years of college. So I dropped out, moved to L.A., and that was about four years ago now. Wow. So how did you decide to drop out of college? I imagine that would be a major decision to have with your parents and your family and everybody. Um, What gave you the courage to just drop out and do that? You know, I'm not sure maybe if you've had this or maybe some of the viewers have had this, But when you've been lied to for so long, you feel compelled, once you know the truth, to go out and speak it. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt. When I saw how how many of my colleagues and and classmates and everyone in the media and just everyone around me have been lied to for so long and that your life is worse when you are believing these people's lies, I knew I had to go out and do something. You know, Dennis Prager talks about when he was about my age at that time that he wrote about influencing people to the good. That was his, his, his mantra and his mission. And, and that's how I, I felt very similar to that with what I was doing, that I wanted to get out there and influence people to the good and, and, and the truth even. So uh, I felt that, you know, even if this was a risky decision to go to a new city that is horrible like L.A. and I don't know anyone and I have no money or you know, any college degree, I knew what I wanted to do. And thank God I've been able to be very successful with it. Well, yes, it's clearly been God-ordained because of all the blessings that have flown through that. So it's powerful. Um, you mentioned that your book is a reference point for people to engage in conversation and dialogue. Right now we're in a very, um, there, there seems to be a lack of civility right now between the left and the right. How do we bridge that gap? How do we bring back these conversations like what your book is trying to promote? You know, I consider myself someone who would you'd probably say populist in a lot of ways with, with my ideas and values. If you read the last chapter of the book, you can probably distinguish that pretty clearly. And what I have found from my research and talking to people is that there's more unity between left-wing populism and right-wing populism than there is between, say, someone like me and a, a, a Mitch McConnell or a 
GOP rhino type of person, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that if we can realize that there are people who are at the top, there are elites in this country, institutions that are these elites, that are trying to keep us apart from each other and say, hey, I don't, I'm not going to just hate this person because they have a difference of opinion. I hate the ideas and the values that they might have, but I don't hate the person. And I think that that is a, a clear distinction to make that I don't think a lot of people are making. I think someone would have seen me when I was a leftist who might have been a conservative and said, I hate that person. And I would have said, I, w- I hate that conservative. But instead, what we should be doing is saying, I hate those ideas because those ideas are evil, but then loving the person and trying to trying to change their mind that way. I think that we can actually do a lot of good if we if we think about things more on that terms. Well, that's very that's very Christ-like. Uh, that's definitely what God wants us to do. Um, but what advice can you give to students right now? And maybe you can even share from your own experience how to handle uh, those attacks when you get it on social media or maybe even in high school, college, middle school students. You know, when I was in college and I was becoming a conservative, I was in my political science courses, and I remember my teacher would would say something egregious or or wrong, and I would always be the one to raise my hand and speak up about it. I had no shame. I wasn't worried about what anyone thought about me, and I realized that that is kind of different than a lot of other people. And, and you know, they're they're worried about social pressures and and what it might be like if people find out what I believe. And I understand why people feel that way. But people who are worried about what the left is going to do to them now should be far more worried about what's about to happen in the future if they do nothing now. Okay, so so th- there comes a time when you know people expect like some conservatives when I get asked this question they expect like how can we make it easier for conservatives to to be this way and to talk about what we believe are Christians and it's like you you are hated for speaking the truth you can, that is a, a a symptom of life. You cannot get around that, especially when lies are the majority. And so being someone who speaks up for truth, you are going to be hated. People are not going to like you. People are going to try to disrespect you and destroy you. So what you have to do, my advice to you, is to find out how to be more resilient to the hate because there is nothing more important in your life to do than to speak out with truth, the pursuit of truth. That will make you a fulfilled person. The more you sacrifice yourself to appease other people, the less of a person that you will actually be. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful advice. You're basically saying not to compromise on our convictions is kind of how I'd sum that up. One way that you do that in particular is is you bring in humor. I, I think you're pretty funny out there in the videos that I've watched. Um, uh, how 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 do you bring in that humor? You know that definitely takes some practice. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. Not everyone is naturally funny. I don't think that I was naturally funny when I first started out. I still don't think I'm that funny, but it means a lot that you would say that. <laughs> uh, I think that it, it really comes with with practice. It comes with getting comfortable. Com- the best humor that I find comes with confidence. If you can talk to people and you really know your stuff about something, you can make jokes about it in a confident way. And so I think that the left wants to destroy comedy, destroy humor, because they understand that when two people disagree but they're laughing, that you can get a lot of good things done then. And they don't want any humor, really, because that goes against their agenda. So I think practicing with with just talking to people, with your family, with your friends, people who are close to you, who won't be so judgmental to you, and trying to, you know, this isn't a a comedian set that you're going and giving stand-up comedy or anything. This is just trying to be more witty and clever about the things that you say to make people 
comfortable and happy to actually be talking to you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're, you're making knock knock jokes while you're speaking to someone <laughs> or, you know, it, it, it is you trying to make this person as comfortable as possible so that they can actually be warm enough to have their mind open. You know what I mean? Yes, I totally do. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, something I think that a lot of people right now are, are don't don't really understand how to do. And I think you're a good example of, of how to do that well and also to not um, surrender your convictions. Um, recently, I saw in the news, and I saw I follow you on Instagram, so I saw it on your own story. Uh, you came recently to know Christ and, and, and got baptized, and I just wanted to allow you to be able to share your own testimony of your faith in Christ if you'd be interested. I would love to, man. I got baptized with about 50 people around me because I wanted as many people as possible to see what was going on. I did it in a public place. I did it at, at the beach in Huntington because I wanted people to see. And, you know, I was a atheist my entire life, and I was more of an atheist than I was a leftist. I was I was definitely, you know, more on the left, but I was kind of because I was dumb. But in terms of my atheism, I was vehemently against God and against religion. I would go and tell people how stupid God and religion is. And so it all kind of changed when I first started becoming a conservative and realizing that the Founding Fathers set this country up knowing that you get inalienable rights endowed on you by your creator. There was no other country in the world where they have a constitution uh, that, that says anything you know, remotely close to them. So that, that was really impactful for me when I was becoming a conservative, realizing that. But I still wasn't a Christian at the time. It wasn't until about a year ago with the pandemic and everything going on that I was like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna read the Bible. I'm going to I'm going to sit down, I'm gonna read it and, and figure this out. And so I read the four gospels. And again, kinda of like I talked about earlier about truth and feeling called to do something, it's a, it's similar in this. It's like when I read the Bible and you can essentially say, if if this if what I read in these four gospels is true and Jesus really died for my sins, then I have no other choice but to give my life to Christ. That is how it felt like for me. And so, if you read truth and you know it, then you really don't have a choice in the matter. At least I, I, I feel like you don't. And so that was how I came to God and, and, and got baptized on January 16th of this year here in California. Mm-hmm. I think right now, that that's a powerful story. I, I want to thank you for sharing that. But I think right now, a lot of people in our culture, especially in America and really all around the world, there's an emphasis on building a network, a net worth, fame, fortune, and all of that. And obviously, you've become famous. You're a celebrity. A lot of people know you in the conservative sphere. And I, I want to give you the opportunity again to maybe speak to the people that think that they can find happiness in, in the world apart from Jesus. I mean, I can tell you for a fact, man, just personal experience of myself from from being one of these people. You know, I, I will get, sometimes I'll get, I'll make a video and it'll just take off, right? And I'll get, I'll get, I'll get millions of views on a video. And that makes me, you know, that makes me happy. And it, it's good to have that. But the things that really make us happy are the things that really matter to us, okay? There's a difference between happiness and enjoyment. You can enjoy doing a multitude of things. There are so many things you can enjoy, watching Netflix, going to a party, all sorts of different stuff like that. But true happiness comes from an understanding of God that I have found. And the things that really make me happy are the things that that, that are when I am living up to that, or at least trying my best to, you know? And so I have just found that, that my life is exponentially better 
being baptized and, and being born again in Christ. And that's not because people's lives are naturally better when they do that, because when I first got baptized, I actually had some things happen in my life that were worse than ever before, right? Like, like situations that were happening for me that, that were harder than ever. Mm-hmm. But because of my new, my new foundation with Christ, I was able to handle those in a way and realize that this isn't the end and there's a different way to think about them than this existential nihilist way that we've kind of been trained in. And it, it, it truly was life-changing for me. Christ helps you handle the bad things in your life to a, a, a greater degree than anything else can. Well, people right now are a lot of people are holding on to their past and the, and the sins and the mistakes that they've made. And um, Jesus teaches us that he, he forgives those. He throws our sins as far as the east is to the west to be remembered no more. And I think that was encouraging to hear your own personal story. I mean, I think I can talk about it. I haven't become famous. So hearing you say that is powerful. So thank you. Thank you, man. It means a lot. Yes. You also talked a little bit earlier today about um, self-education in particular. You dropped out of college and went and pursued your dreams and, and followed God's calling. Tell us a little bit about the importance of, of remaining educated, even when you're, you're maybe not um, in the school curriculum and, and you don't want to get indoctrinated. You know, I'm a big fan of Friedrich Nietzsche. If you guys know the philosopher from Germany uh, in the 1800s. And he wrote this great book called Best Book Zarathustra. And in this book, Zarathustra is kind of this prophet. And he gets all these followers who follow him. And one day, Zarathustra turns to his followers and he says, stop following me. And his followers are like, why? Why would I do that? We, we love the things you're saying. We believe everything you're doing. Why would we stop following you? And he says, you need to take the ideas and lessons that I have taught you and take them out into the real world to see if they actually work. Right? Mm-hmm. This is, that, that was really important for me. It's like it's one thing to listen to the things that I say or what Trump would say or conservative media, and this goes the same for people on the left. It's one thing to listen to people and, and take what they, 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 they say and use it. It's another thing to confuse everything these people say as, as truth. Okay? I think that people confuse knowledge for truth. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that, that's on both sides of the political aisle. And I think that once we start understanding that we have to go out and do more to educate ourselves, we can be a lot more fulfilled people and happier people. I think a lot of the anxiety of the day and a lot of the division comes from people not actually feeling confident in the things that they, that they believe to be true. And so I think that self-education and going out and researching and reading and doing all and talking to people and having conversations, these are really the most important things that we can do to be a well-rounded, holistic type of person. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the difference between book smarts and street smarts, and there's got to be a healthy balance. I mean, college campuses show that well. I think there's a lot of different students that are really obsessed in the book smarts and maybe are less likely to be able to carry the conversation. <laughs> so I think I know what you mean there. Yeah. Yeah, like Epictetus, the, the Greek philosopher, I mean, he said it's impossible to teach a man what he thinks he already knows. And it's like that, that just rings so true. It's incredibly difficult to teach people, to talk to people when they think that what they heard somewhere on a podcast or something is actually the truth. So it's about being well-rounded and getting a full world picture. I mean, I, I personally, I listen to more leftist podcasts than I do conservative podcasts. 
right? Because I want to know what the other side is saying so that I can battle against it when I'm on my show or making videos or anything like that. So I think it's very important that people remember to stay well-rounded and not just in our echo chambers. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a great piece of advice there. Let's pick a thing in the news right now, a, a common topic that people are talking about. And, and I want to I see what, what you have to say about it. Maybe your book even can promote it. Do you want to talk about maybe critical race theory and, and what do you think about it and, and the best way to discuss this on a college campus? Yeah, what I've found with critical race theory, I mean, I was just watching this video today. It was on The View. And one of the, the guests, or I don't know, maybe she's a host, I don't know the names of all the few people anymore, but she said that CRT for Republicans is like saying the new N-word. That's how deranged these people are. That is how, how delusional they are about these ideas, okay? What CRT is, in its essence, is a breakdown of the individual, okay? CRT will come and tell you, say, oh, you're unique because you're black, you're unique because you're, you know, gay or a woman, you know, all these different leftist collective ideologies, ideological postmodern things. And they will tell you that you're unique because of that. But those things don't make you unique. What makes it unique is that, you know, your name is, is Mark and you study theology and you play piano. And even though someone named Jeff looks just like you and he's black and he's gay and trans, whatever, he, he thinks nothing like you. Right, so the purpose of CRT is to take away your individualism and put you into a group, to put you into a collective. That is the purpose of leftism in its entirety, to put you as part of the collective. And so fighting against that and realizing that the individual is truly the most important thing is how we fight back against CRT. And so when I'm talking to people, and this is advice for people when you're talking about CRT, is to try and talk to them about individualism and and talk about like hey you know started out like you are a human i'll say yeah oh you're black yeah and then you keep breaking it down until you get to them as the smallest individual to say how can you say that you and this other person think alike just because of this and if you can do that successfully with people you can wake up a lot of people to the evils of this this radical ideology Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense what other topics in your book do you do you kind of break down for people in the book, there's 17 different chapters. I tried to hit on all of the biggest ones that are kind of in the, the cultural lexicon right now that I think people are really discussing. So there's one on freedom of speech. There's illegal immigration, which is one of my favorite chapters. The Second Amendment, um, climate change, cultural appropriation, cancel culture. I mean, it's all, it's all in there. So basically any of those topics that people want to know about and also how to discuss with people, it's in there probably. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Will. I got a question for you. It, it, have you ever considered potentially running for public office? Man, people always ask me this question. <laughs> I, I, I never. I, the answer that I have is tough because I think that if I was in that position, or actually I know that I could do a lot of good if the system worked the way that it should, mm-hmm. right? But I, I don't have a lot of faith in our political system right now in terms of, of how things work. I mean, it's, it's essentially whoever can get the most amount of donations and kiss the most butt is going to be the person who now serves in your district for the most part. And, and that, to me, seems really sad. Lobbying and corruption is out of control. Like, these spending bills are in so many ways just kicking back favors to people who help them on the campaign trail. 
And so I, I'm, I'm worried about if I were to ever run for office, the amount of good that I could actually do while in there, just because the corruption is so deep. Right. And, and I will not, I will not, I will not be one of those people to be corrupted in that sense. You know what I mean? Yes. So uh, it's hard to tell. I would love to, but at the moment. I would probably, I would probably say no. Okay. Well, at, at least for now, the people listening to the show and ev- anywhere they can follow you on Instagram and they can check out your book, uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies." Where can they purchase this book? You can get the book anywhere books are sold. So that's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, in person at bookstores, really anywhere. Wonderful, Will. It was great to speak with you today. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. You've been listening to The Ryan Young Show live right now on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Have a beautiful and blessed day.